Good morning. Everybody, so good to uh, see you. Welcome to River Glen. Um, River Glen is one church, and we gather in many, many uh, locations. And so I want to invite everybody here in Waukesha. Let's give a big welcome to uh, those in Pewaukee and online. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for making church part of your weekend. Good to be together um, uh, with you. Well, we're full-blown into the Christmas season. It doesn't take long for Christmas to take over, uh, does it? And uh, I love it. I enjoy it. I love the sights of Christmas. You see the lights on the homes and all the trees. I love the smells of Christmas. Who doesn't love the smell of uh, cookies, Christmas cookies, bacon in the oven? They even have candles nowadays that uh, smell just like uh, trees. I don't know how they uh, do that. Christmas also has its own unique sounds. Uh, For example, check this one out. I mean, when else do you hear that sound other than uh, Christmas time? Sounds like Santa's right around the corner. Or the Salvation Army, one of those two, right? And uh, Christmas also has uh, warm uh, Christmas music. I mean, do you guys like Christmas music? Christmas music is just awesome. Yeah, there we go. Go ahead and sing along if you want. Uh, That's a classic Christmas song, one of the all-time greats. But I think for many of us, uh, this Christmas season, you know, we want those things. We want the sleigh bells. We want the chestnuts roasting. But it can feel like this. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of captures Christmas, doesn't it? (laughs) Especially this season. You know, we want to feel the joy of uh, Christmas. But sadly, uh, for for some, uh, they get the uh, Jaws uh, soundtrack. And Christmas sounds more like anxiety, more like fear and uncertainty. I want to keep it real today and talk openly. We've got many people hurting in our community because of the recent Christmas parade tragedy. It's affected all of us in some way, and all of us, we know somebody who is recovering physically and emotionally, and we continue to pray for them, but it is a cause of anxiety. And Christmas and holidays also have a way of just heightening the stress and the pain that we already feel. Maybe you have some uncertainty about your uh, job. Uh, You've got some uncertainty about what the future holds for you uh, work-wise. Or maybe it's uh, related to uh, who you'll spend Christmas with. Maybe you've got some difficult relationships in your life. Or, you know, do I have anybody to spend this Christmas uh, with? Or maybe it's your kids. As they grow up, they make some more, uh, they they become more um, independent. And, uh, you know, you worry about the decisions that they make for the future. Could be your finances that cause anxiety. You wonder, do I have enough for Christmas to be all that we want it to be? If you're a student at Christmas time, this is the time of the year when teachers and professors, I mean, they just conspire against you and unload exams and tests and papers and projects more than Uh, humanly possible, uh, right? And if that's you today, if you feel some uncertainty, some fear, some anxiety, I want to talk specifically to you. I want everybody to listen, but I want to talk specifically to you. And here's my hope. My hope is that before we're done today and you walk away, you're in the middle of any kind of doubt, fear, or anxiety, or stress, you're going to know there's a reason for faith and a reason for hope and to not give up. Today we're continuing this series. It's called BC, 
which stands for Before Christmas. And I know BC doesn't actually stand for Before Christmas, but it's kind of our creative, clever way to talk about some of the uh, prophets in the Old Testament of the Bible that spoke about Jesus before Christmas. Before the first Christmas, God spoke to his people through special messengers called prophets. Prophets with names like Micah. Garrett talked about him last weekend. We're also going to talk about Jeremiah and Malachi. But this weekend, we're going to learn from a prophet by the name of Isaiah. So let that sink in. Would you just say that after me? Isaiah. Uh, very good. Very good. That's what we're going to talk about. God would speak through these prophets at specific places, at specific times, with specific messages that would give wisdom and instruction and sometimes warning to his people. But throughout the Old Testament, uh, people had a tendency to ignore and not listen and dismiss the prophets, which led to disastrous results. That's why after the reign of King Solomon, the nation of Israel, it actually split into two kingdoms. Okay, we've got the northern kingdom up here. It was called Israel. They get conquered by the Assyrians. And then down here, we've got the southern kingdom called Judah that eventually uh, they fall to the Babylonians. But in the middle of all this chaos... We hear the words of the prophet Isaiah speak to the southern kingdom. And I've got a young friend who's going to help us understand some of the story of Isaiah in very simple terms. Take a look. a thousand years before Christmas, around 930 B.C., Israel split into two kingdoms led mostly by bad kings. So God sent the prophets to speak words that were true, but nobody listened, and the kingdoms fell through. From Jerusalem came a prophet, Isaiah was his name, who watched the north crumble and thought, what a shame! And then came the day his king Uzziah died. Uncertainty filled the land, and the anxious people cried. But even in the middle of this very scary place, God spoke through Isaiah and gave him reason for his faith. So there you go. And uh, we're going to pick it up in the Old Testament book, named after the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to begin with chapter 6, verse 1. And it begins with these words. In the year that King Uzziah died... Now, if you read through the book of Isaiah, it would be really easy to just fly past this phrase. But this is a super, super important detail because Uzziah had enjoyed tremendous popularity. He led the southern kingdom through a period, a long period of prosperity. And his fame spread throughout the region. Not only did he lead them through prosperity, he provided great leadership. He would fight against political corruption. He would call out hypocrisy among religious leaders. I mean, they had just a great season of prosperity under the big U. But Uzziah died. And when he passed away, it threw the entire nation into this period of uncertainty. They all began to wonder, what now? What next? But I think it's hard for us to grasp because we don't really know what it's like to have a king, especially uh, after, to lose a king after 50 years of prosperity. And losing their king, I mean, it just elevated their uh, 
anxiety because remember the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians, the Assyrian army gained power, and now the southern kingdom, I mean, they feel very, very vulnerable because they no longer have a king. And so here's what happens. Uncertainty often opens the door and in walks anxiety. And this happens to us today. Uncertainty in our lives, it opens the door and in walks anxiety. I want you to think of a couple events when this was true for us to help us get a grasp for how they, how they felt when King Uzziah died. You know, I want to mention a date. And for many of us, you will immediately feel it. I'm going to go ahead and just give you the date. It's September 11th. 2001. It's been called the great defining event for a generation of Americans. And uh, for many of us here, if you're in your maybe your mid-20s or late 20s or older, you probably remember where you were and what you were doing on that Tuesday morning when 9-11 happened. Um, you know, let's do this. Maybe you remember uh, what you were uh, doing when you found out about it. Let's take 30 seconds, 15 seconds each. And I want you to turn to somebody near you and just share with them, this is where I was when I found out. So go ahead and turn to somebody and tell them, you know, here, here's what I was doing, here's what was going on. I'll go ahead and tell you what uh, I was doing. I remember on that Tuesday morning, I was just driving in my car on my way to the church office listening to the radio when I found out about it. And then I remember watching that shocking video and feeling like the earth, I mean, the whole world was just up for grabs. And for months afterward, when you would hear a plane flying overhead, you would kind of flinch. And the whole world wondered, what is going to happen next as a, as a nation, as a world? We entered a period of uncertainty and in walked anxiety. Gives you an idea how they felt when King Uzziah died. Uh, more recently, I, I think many of us felt this way a couple weeks ago when the uh, Christmas parade tragedy happened in downtown Waukesha, leaving, leaving six people dead and 62 people injured. Uh, on a smaller scale, it felt kind of like 9-11, didn't it? Another one of those moments where you probably, you know, will remember, you know, where you were and what you were doing. We were eating pizza at a restaurant, and we, they had a TV. We saw the coverage, and we just felt stunned and shocked. I mean, we had so many questions. We prayed in the restaurant. I remember we said, we're going to remember this evening for the rest of our lives. And I'll never forget the, the prayer gathering we had <clears throat> in this room the next day. I mean, we, we had no idea if anybody would come. And we had one of our largest, on Monday night, we had one of our largest gatherings in person and one of our largest gatherings online for that prayer gathering this year, this year one of our largest uh, services. So many people feeling shock and fear and uncertainty in our community. And all of us have had those kind of powerful moments in our personal lives when circumstances I mean, uh, irreversibly altered your life. Might be a, a divorce, maybe a death, maybe the loss of a job, maybe the betrayal of a friend. You had events that opened the door of your life to uncertainty 
And in walked anxiety. And you wondered, what now? What next? I want you to feel that just a little bit because that's exactly how they felt in this moment when King Uzziah died. It threw everyone into a season of uncertainty. And in the middle of this uncertainty, with all kinds of questions and people asking, what now? Isaiah has a vision. And here's the vision of Isaiah. We're going to pick it up in in chapter 6, verse 1. It begins this way. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the midst of people wondering, you know, what are we going to do without our king? God sends a message through Isaiah to, to help people understand that there is another king, a king whose kingdom will never end, a king who will never die, a king whose glory will fill the entire earth. And Isaiah not only receives a vision of this king on a throne, he sees a vision of this king in a cradle. Flip over to the next chapter, chapter 7, and he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah says, I know there's doubt, I know there's fear. I know there's uncertainty, but listen, a king is coming to be with us. And he's coming in the most unusual way. He will be born of a, of a virgin. Who's he, who's he talking about here? Who's he, who's he pointing to? Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, our king. Flip on over into the New Testament in the first gospel. Matthew, he actually quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Take a look at what he says. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he, Joseph, gave him the name Jesus. This this takes place. This birth takes place 700 years after King Uzziah died. 700 years after the prophecy of Isaiah. Why, why, why God makes his people wait so long sometimes, I do not know. But here's the good news. Isaiah's prophecy comes true. He is born of a virgin. He's given the name Jesus and into a world filled with chaos <clears throat> and uncertainty. Jesus comes as a powerful, righteous, and eternal king. And although this, this was far into the future, Isaiah actually saw this day coming. Look at what he says in chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, shoulders. And here's what he'll be like. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This king that the people of God had waited for since the time of Isaiah had finally arrived. And I love to think about how the people must have felt watching this baby grow up into a man and seeing him perform so many miracles and and wonders, healing the sick, feeding the masses, even raising the dead back to life. Finally, there was someone who could make everything right. Their period of uncertainty seemed over. Their king had finally arrived. It seemed like it would be impossible for this to get interrupted. But the darkness begins to push back the light. Chaos 
returned. And this long-awaited king who came as a baby, he grows as a man. And he stands here in chains on trial by the, by the Roman government with the Roman governor, uh, Pilate. The Roman governor, government accused him, um, ironically, of being a king. Look at what John says. He records the conversation that takes place between Jesus and the Roman governor, Pilate. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, come in, Jesus, and asked him, are you, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds, is that your, your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I, a, am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And then Pilate ends the conversation. Look at what he says. You are a king then, said Pilate. And for Jesus' followers, their worst fears become a reality. The uncertainty that followed the death of Uzziah, that was nothing compared to this. Everything that they had hoped for, everything that they believed about Jesus, I mean, it just came crashing down at this trial. At this trial, the the Roman governor Pilate had Jesus beaten and humiliated. Pilate was just this pawn in the hands of local religious leaders. John records what happens next. He says the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They mocked him and they slapped him in the face and they take him away to be crucified. Another one of those moments of great uncertainty, a moment of great doubt. But here's my hope for you and me and all of us, even in the most chaotic, uncertain moments of our lives, there is always reason for hope. There is always reason for faith and to not give up. As I studied this passage uh, right here, I learned something that I had, I had not known before. When each of the gospel writers described the crown of thorns that the Roman soldiers placed on the head of Jesus, they used a peculiar word. They, they actually had two words in the original language to choose from for the crown of thorns that get translated crown. Uh, one of the words they could have used was the word diadem. Diadem refers to a king's crown. Maybe some of you that grew up going to church, maybe you remember an old hymn. I can remember as a kid going to church and we would sing this old, old uh, uh, hymn, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Anybody remember that? That, uh, that hymn? Well, that hymn, it talks about the diadem, a king's, a king's crown. And that would have made sense for them to use that word. This is a king's crown. The soldiers made fun of Jesus uh, because of it. But the gospel writers didn't use that word when they refer to the crown of thorns placed on Jesus' uh, head. Instead, they used a word, Stephanos. Stephanos was not a normal word for referring to a crown of, of thorns. Stephanos means a crown of twisted ivy and laurel. I mean, does that ring a bell? A crown of twisted laurel and ivy. This is actually the kind of crown they used at the Greek games that we now call the Olympics. This is actually a vic, not a king's crown. This is a victor's crown that they would place on the head of a winner of the Olympics. And so they choose this particular word, 
because they know what's really going on. They know what's actually going down. Even in the worst of times, it appears as though Jesus is headed for death when he's actually wearing a victor's crown. A victor's crown. And so I want you to try to picture this. It, it, it looks like defeat, utter defeat for Jesus. They're leading him to death. It looks like they're going to take away his life. His kingdom is going to come to an abrupt end. But what graces the brow of Jesus is actually a victor's crown. The crown the soldiers used to mock him is actually a reminder to us of the ultimate victory that we have in Jesus. And this is the good news. And that's the reason for our faith and the reason for our our hope and to not give up, not just this Christmas, but every day. Because at the center of the most chaotic scene in all of human history stood a king wearing a victor's crown to remind us that three days later he would overcome life's ultimate blow, death itself. Now, let's apply this to you and me. I mean, we're no strangers to uncertainty, right? And, you know, maybe for you, maybe for some of us, you know, the the Jaws soundtrack, that's not just this Christmas. Maybe that's been the last couple years. Some of us just kind of live with a free-floating fear that, you know, something, we feel like something bad is always going to be happening just, just around the corner. And many of us have a specific anxiety, a specific worry related maybe to finances or health or career or our relationship. I would say that for me uh, personally, I find that uh, my concern, my worry, kind of it seems to grow as my kids grow older. I remember, it seems like just yesterday, we had three little kids, and I was concerned about making good grades, making good friends, and eating vegetables. I didn't really care about the vegetables. That was more Marnie. I don't even like vegetables. But Now they're well into their 20s, and we've even got a little granddaughter. But sometimes I find myself feeling anxious for their safety and health and for the decisions that they make that will affect their future. And my kids wouldn't like to hear me talking like this, but those of you with kids or close, if you're close to kids, you know what I'm talking about. You never stop thinking about them. You never stop... uh, praying uh, for them. You never stop caring for them. It really does feel like they carry, you know, your heart with them outside your body wherever they go. And you have less and less control. It can feel worrisome and uncertain. What is it for you? What is it for you? Whatever it is for you, know that when life feels uncertain and scary, we do not have to fear because We have Jesus as our king, and he is in control. We can relax in his sovereignty. Here's what he's saying to you and me. I want you to to, to picture this imagery. He says, even as I carried the cross, I wore a victor's crown. I wore a victor's crown. Even when they put me in that tomb, and they shut the tomb, and they sealed it, I knew that I would be able to push that stone away. And walk out of there. And for you, in the middle of your anxiety, in the middle of your uncertainty, in the middle of your fear, Jesus says, I want to place my spirit, I want to place my victorious spirit inside of you. And here's the promise that he makes to you. He says, I will never fail you. I will never, ever abandon you. You can trust him. 
Uh, many years ago now, there, a book came out that has sold over 3 million copies. It's written by amazing faithful story, written by a, a woman uh, by the name of Corey uh, Tenboom. It's called The Hiding Place. If you're not familiar with the story, Corey Tenboom lived a simple, uneventful life in pre-World War II Holland, working as a watchmaker. And, uh, but but that, that got disrupted by the Nazis and a great season, great era of anxiety and uncertainty. And because she was a believer, she felt prompted by God to hide and protect Jews in her, in her home. Eventually she gets discovered and arrested and sent to one of the concentration camps. And in the Nazi concentration camp, she experiences things that are almost unmentionable, unthinkable. But this is where she wrote these powerful words, a brilliant metaphor to encourage those of us going through a time of doubt, a time of uncertainty, a time of anxiety. Imagine being in a concentration camp. Here's what she said. She said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, man, you don't, you don't throw the ticket away and jump off. No, no. You sit still and you trust the engineer. Now, I don't know what, what worries, I don't know specifically what concerns or what sources of anxiety you bring with you today. And, and I don't have a quick fix uh, for you. But what if, we, what if we just did that? What if we just did that? What if we said, you know what, I'm going to sit still and I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust. I want to lead us in a moment of just sitting still and uh, trusting. I want to invite you, if, if you would, to uh, bow your head for a, a moment. Go ahead and bow your head. And it's just you and your king. And right now, I want you to bring to mind uh, those things that, that worry you the most. Those things that bring uncertainty. Those things that make your heart beat a little too fast and, and bring anxiety. Go ahead and, and just acknowledge the darkness of the tunnel, whatever that might be for you today. Now, in the midst of that uncertainty, God has brought you here today to tell you there's reason to not give up. There's reason for hope. And there's reason for faith because your king is here with you in the middle of it. Can you feel him? He wants you to feel his presence today. Can you hear him? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. As you go through this dark tunnel, you, you trust him. You trust him. I want to ask you to pray these words with me out loud right now. Jesus, I lay down all my worry. All my uncertainty before you. I recognize that you are my king in the middle of chaos. 
And I have faith in your victory. Amen. As you uh, open your eyes and raise your head, I want to invite you to use this next moment to honor Jesus by receiving communion. Our communion is, is open to everybody because Jesus invites everybody to follow him. We've got communion available on the tables in the back of the room. Our King Jesus, I mean, he laid down his life for all of us. He uh, deserved to be served, but instead he came to serve us and lay down his life as a sacrifice for us. The bread reminds us of his body. The juice reminds us of his blood. You can use this next moment to, to honor Jesus and remember what he has done and just relax in his sovereignty as your king by taking communion when you're ready.